Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Notice it says in the last part of that verse that the Lord desired to kill them. Now, this is a hard thing to consider, but we have to understand that there's a line that we can cross as people, and it's only known by the Lord when we, he must bring judgment, and when there is the proverbial Rubicon, when we cross that, that line, and it's different for everybody. I wish it were the same for everybody, because then everybody would be well warned. I'm getting close to that line. I better back up. We don't know, you don't know where that line is for you. It's different for every person. I've seen people get away with certain things for years, and then somebody who is younger in the Lord gets away with it for a week, and they get busted. Can I ever say Welcome to our program, everyone, as Pastor Rob continues our study in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Our scripture says, Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father, because the Lord desired to kill them. This striking statement may seem unfair to some. It appears to be a picture of Eli's sons wanting to repent and listen to their father, but God prevented them. This is not the case at all. God judged Eli's sons this way. He gave them exactly what they wanted. They did not want to repent, and God did not work repentance in their hearts. Now here's Pastor Rob with our teaching for today. He's on the verge of being thrown out, his kids, his wife. And is it worth it? Is it really worth it? It isn't worth it. And that's the question we have to ask ourselves whenever we're tempted. Whenever you're tempted with any sin, guys, ladies... Ask yourself, was it, was it really worth it? It really is not worth it. Even if you've lost all of your fear of God, even if you have no concern about the sin that offends God, and you're willing to destroy your, you know, are you willing to destroy your life, your family, your marriage? What you've worked so hard to, to build up, is it worth it? It reminds me of, in Leviticus 10, you recall a couple of the sons of Aaron. Remember, Aaron had four sons, Nadab and Abihu and Eleazar and Ithamar. And Nadab and Abihu, God killed them. They were in the temple. They were Levites, and they were to bring incense before the Lord. And can you imagine, year after year, day after day, week after week, they're doing the same exact thing. And I know exactly what that's about, because in this fellowship, I've had the joy of serving for over 25 years. And I remember mopping the floor when nobody was here. I remember doing all those things daily, daily, weekly, weekly. And then there comes a point where you're just like, what am I doing this for? Who am I doing it for? Because if if it's for any, if it's for Jeff, who I love dearly as a father to me, there comes a point when the monotony of it gets to be so much that it's like, you know what, I can't do it for him anymore. 
I can't do it for a human being. And I remember I came to that conclusion one day. I'll never forget it. I was out there mopping the fellowship hall floor when we had the school here. And I was really busy when the school was here. We were all very busy. And all I wanted to do was just worship the Lord. I wanted to spend more time learning songs. And I remember just breaking down in the middle out there. And I was out there by myself. All the kids were in their classrooms. Nobody saw me. And I came to that decision, that crisis point, where I'm like, you know what, God? I know you've wanted me to do, you've called me here for a reason, and I'm very happy to do this. But it was just one of those moments where I had to really ask myself the question, who am I doing this for? And that was a great question. And I had to come to the decision, I can't do this for Jeff. I thought I was doing it for the Lord all the time, but you know how your heart can deceive you. Some people you admire and you'll do anything for them until things get monotonous and year after year after year after year and you get into the 10th, 15th year and you're like, is this ever going to change, you know? And it's a wrong heart. But I had to come to that conclusion. Who am I doing it for? And then once the Lord really convinced me, he's like, Rob, you do it for me from now on. Don't think about Jeff or anybody else. This is between you and me. Can you do it for me? With a smile. And I'm like... But notice in verse 23, he said to them, notice his sons, he says to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. Know, my sons, for it is not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. You know, if these two men had sterling characters, they would have been encouraging to holiness everyone that was coming. But no, they were the ones that were the instigators. They were the ones that were the the, the initiators of this sin. They should have been examples, but yet they were instigators of this sin. They were hypocrites. They were play actors. They might as well have had the Greek masks on. Behind their face, they're all feeling down and blue, but they got this this little mask that has the smiley face and it looks really cute and they can, you know, but deep inside they're dead men's bones, but they got this facade where everything looks all right, but they're really not okay. That's the way they were. These men were hypocrites. They were play actors. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 33 says, Do not be deceived. Evil communication corrupts good habits. It corrupts good habits. Who are you hanging out with? What kind of habits are you picking up? What kind of habits are you promoting by your life choices, by your lifestyle, by the things you say, by the way you hold yourself, by the way you even dress? What are you saying to everyone else around you? These are things to consider. Notice, nevertheless, well, actually verse 25, if one man sins against another, God will judge him, Eli tells his sons. But if a man sins against the Lord, then who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, notice this, the men did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. They didn't listen to the voice of their father, and the implication is is that he did nothing to dissuade them from this, and there appears to be no consequence for their behavior. No consequences. Just a bunch of smoke. Oh, it's really not good, guys, what I hear. It's, it's not good. But run along. No consequence. No telling him, son, take off the garments right now and hit the bricks. I don't want to see you for three days. <laughs> Go somewhere out in the desert where there's lions and bears. And then in three days, come back if you're still alive. See, that's what a, I'm only kidding here, but, you know, a tough father might say something like that. And the kid's like, oh, my gosh, I'll never do that again. You know, and that's really what should happen. Put the fear of God in them, right? 
But we don't see Eli doing anything. Oh, it's not a good thing I hear, but, you know, it's, it's okay. I mean, after all, I'm only human, flesh and blood, a man. Really? No. They didn't listen to their father. Basically a slap on the wrist. No consequence or censor at all. These men more than likely grew up knowing that their father wouldn't follow through because he hadn't so far. Here they are probably in their mid-twenties or early, you know, late teens. And here's dad telling us again to stop doing that thing, you know. What are we going to do? Ah, he'll get over it. It's probably just what he ate last night. They continue on their merry old way. Eli's words were empty. They were, he was like a cloud without rain. Cloud's supposed to give something, right? When you see a dark cloud, it's supposed to water the earth. Eli was that dark cloud, but he didn't give nourishment. He was just a dried-up vessel himself. And it's important that we discipline our children, teach them the right things, the Word of God, because if we don't, then we have a generation of spoiled, disobedient reprobates. And the world is filled with them right now because parents aren't telling their children. They're not taking them to church anymore. You know who's forming their opinion and giving them their worldview is the schools, teaching them all about, you know, uh, planet Earth and Mother Earth. You know, you've got to take care of Mother Earth. There's nothing wrong with being a good steward of those things, but they make a religion of it. Take care of Mother Earth and she'll take care of you. Just embrace the light that's within Focus on a word. Put your fingers together. Focus on your navel. And hum this syllable with me. Or they feed them the theory of evolution that they're now calling fact. Last I knew it was still a theory, but they're treating it as fact. They're teaching it as fact. There are no other alternatives to their pet, their baby that they coddle so well. They feed with the bottle evolution, their little baby that they love so much. They're a little darling. They will pay the price if they don't repent. Every school, every university, those men and women, if they do not repent, will stand before the Lord and he will say, I never, ever knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. And they'll be cast into a lake of fire forever. They will burn That is a reality. In Proverbs 22, verse 6, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That is the purpose of sharing the truth and telling them the life. Don't be afraid to tell your kids real-life things. Teach them the word and put flesh on it. Tell them how it affected your life. The things that you didn't do that you should have done. The things that the word of God tells you that you should have done that you didn't do. But now you know the the real truth of it. And you're like, this is why it's the truth. Now I understand. Isn't it wonderful when the light bulb goes off? When you read the Bible and all of a sudden the truth of it, maybe as an adult, it finally just rocks your cage. And you're like, God was right all along. Of course he was. He loves you. Do you think he's going to leave you on the planet without an instruction manual about who he is, who you are, and the great gulf that there is in between, and the only ray of salvation, and that's Jesus Christ, whom this is all about? Low in the volume of the book, Jesus said, it's written of me, right? Every page. Because if we don't do those things that Eli didn't, if, if, we, if we do those things, or if we don't do the things that Eli didn't do either, 
we will come into a place like it says in Judges chapter 2 and verse 7. Let me read it to you. And it says, So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and this is before they came into the promised land, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. And now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old, and they buried him within the border of his inheritance. And then in verse 10, I'll just get right to it. It says, When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, in other words, that they had died, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. Why is that? A generation grew up that didn't know because their parents never told them. They never took them to church. They just got busy at their jobs, both parents working full bore so they can own a $250,000 house with 3.1 kids and two cars in the parking, you know, in the driveway, and having all the toys and having all the things, but, and then not knowing your children and sending them off into a, uh, a place where they're fed a bunch of lies. Not everything, of course, but the worldview of the public schools, folks, is not a worldview that's represented here. If you're sending your kid to a public school, you better be talking to them a lot, getting in the word with them. Don't just assume that they're getting it from somewhere else because they will not. They will not get it from anywhere else. Even in a Christian school is the only possibility. Notice it says in the last part of that verse that the Lord desired to kill them. Now, this is a hard thing to consider, but we have to understand that there's a line that we can cross as people, and it's only known by the Lord when we, he must bring judgment, and when there is the proverbial Rubicon, when we cross that, that line, and it's different for everybody. I wish it were the same for everybody, because then everybody would be well-warned. I'm getting close to that line. I better back up. We don't know, you don't know where that line is for you. It's different for every person. I've seen people get away with certain things for years, and then somebody who is younger in the Lord gets away with it for a week, and they get busted. And you got an older guy who you're thinking, that guy should have gotten busted, and he's getting away with it for years. Nobody knows. And isn't that a marvelous, scary thing? That leads me to believe that God, for some reason, gave him a lot of rope. And someone else, their rope is not so long. And he gives you enough rope to do your own thing. And there comes a point where he says, okay, enough is enough. I have to expose this. If you're not going to turn from that sin, I know in your heart you know better. Some people just don't know better. For what, It's a mystery that I won't chase. But there comes a point when God has to draw the line. And it's even, uh, even nationally. You remember when uh, Israel was being taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar. And God called Jeremiah to tell them and warn them uh, that they were going to go into captivity. And they did go into captivity. And in, Je- in Jeremiah chapter 17, uh, you know, Jeremiah is there praying for the people. Oh, Lord, open their hearts, open their minds, help them to turn from their idolatry. And he's praying to the Lord. And in verse 16 of Jeremiah 7, the Lord says to him, Therefore, do not pray for this people. What? But Paul tells me that I should always pray. Pray without ceasing. No, don't just stop praying. Nor lift up a cry or pray for them. Nor make intercession to me, for I will not hear you. They've crossed the Rubicon, and God gave them plenty of opportunities, sending them prophets, rising up early, sending them, telling them, and they just were like, eh, I'm not listening. And finally God has to say, you know what? This breaks my heart. But I have to bring judgment. 
In fact, in 1 Peter verse, chapter 4, verse 15, but actually starting in 17, it says, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel? The world needs to be changed, but they are not going to change if they see a lukewarm church. If they see people coming to church and just going through the motions and, you know, and, you know, lipping a few words of the songs, but yet no change really going on inside, no real desire to draw near to the Lord, but just kind of in a habit. You know, I've been coming here for years and I just, I, I come, and I'm not saying that's any of you, but I know that that happens. It happens. It happens in every fellowship in the world. Where people, they, they just come and they just kind of disengage. They, they're, they're not really there anymore for really drawing closer to the Lord. It just becomes a habit. It's what I do on Thursday. It's what I do on Sunday. I just come. My heart is closed before I get here. And you have to ask yourself the question, is that me? Is that me? I, I'm not assuming it's anybody here. I hope it isn't. But is it possible? Yes, it's even possible for the one standing behind the microphone. <laughs> right? It's true. We have to open our hearts. We have to get serious about the Lord. We have to let the Word of God get into us. It's not just for somebody else. It's not a proof text for us to corner somebody else in their sin. No, let it first wound you terribly. Let it hit you right in the heart, right in the mind, and simultaneously, if possible, because it'll get the point across even quicker. Notice that Samuel grew in stature, verse 26. He grew in stature. Samuel, his walk with the Lord was, was unlike uh, Hophni and Phinehas. As I'm sure they were looking at him. Maybe they were even smirking at him and initially thinking, oh, look at this cute little guy. You know, you can see a cocky teenager or a 20-something looking at this little guy going, and already they're feeling convicted. Already they're going, wow, he's, he's really serious about this. I guess we should be too. Hmm. So they start getting convicted. I wonder what the tension was like between them. But notice, and I want to encourage you to never stop growing. It says he grew in stature. And I don't think that was just physically, certainly he was growing, but he was growing spiritually, outgrowing those who were in authority over him. And that's what God saw. See, men look on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And as we're going to see in next week when we get into chapter 3, you're going to see God speaking to Eli. No, he's no longer speaking to Eli. He's speaking to the young kid. The high priest. I'm the high priest. You should be speaking to me. And God's like, I've been trying to for years. And you haven't listened. You've closed your heart. But there's a young man that I'm speaking to. He's in charge. I'm going to speak all my will to him. He's a man after my own heart, just like David. What a wonderful man Samuel must have been. But notice the order. Lord, he grew in stature before and in favor with the Lord and men. Grow in favor with the Lord first. If you grow in favor with the Lord, don't worry about your stature or your favor before men. If you can have favor of God, trust me, men are going to, you're going to be in favor of men. But if all you seek is the favor of men, you're not going to have favor with the Lord. That's called uh, being a, um, a, a, a man pleaser. A man pleaser. Paul said to Galatians, for now do I persuade men or God or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. 
Don't seek to serve men. Don't seek to earn favor of men. Earn favor with God and everything else will fall into its place. It's sort of like the verse where it says, you know, uh, do all things unto the Lord. You know, give your heart completely to him. Seek the Lord with all your heart and all these other things will be added unto you, right? Seek the, the Lord. But notice, there a, man came from, a man of God came to Eli, and he said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I not clearly reveal myself to the house of your father when you were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? Notice that when we will not listen to the Lord himself, he has to send an ambassador. There's only one way to do it. If we're not listening, if we've closed our heart, closed our ears, there's only one way to do it. And that's for God to raise up somebody else to come and tell us the hard facts. And what a hard fact it was. You know, as Eli's sons were to him, Eli's ears were also dull to the Lord. Eli's sons, they stopped listening to their dad. He's just, you know, he's not going to do anything. Oh, sons, it's not good that you do that. You know, stop it. Stop it. And they're like, big deal. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to do what I want, dad. Besides, we're bigger than you. Can you see it? And Eli's ears were also dull. And he says, did I not? And then the prophet says to him, speaking from God's perspective, did I not choose you out of him, out of all the tribes of Israel, to be my priest, to offer upon my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? And did I not give to the house of your father all the offerings of the children of Israel made by fire? He even provided them meat to eat from the sacrifices that the children of Israel would come. They would get a portion of that to feed their families. They were all taken care of. There was nothing that they lacked. And so verse 29, the prophet says, says, why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling place, and you honor your sons more than me to make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people? These men were hirelings. They were no longer doing it for the Lord. They were in it for the sex. They were in it for the food. And that's all they cared about. Sounds a lot like today. Eli was being partial to his sons. Rather than chastening them, he puts his sons above his love for God. That's always a bad thing to do. Bad thing to do. In Psalm 82, here is a question that Eli should have been willing to answer to the Lord. It says, God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. And here's the question that Eli should have asked God. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? That's God's question. To Eli that he never answered. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked, i.e. your sons? There is no partiality with God's Roman, Roman tells us. And therefore the Lord of God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now, the Lord says, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. You know, having a healthy fear of God is a good thing. He is. He's a gracious God. He's a loving, compassionate father. But don't ever get to the point where you get so close to him that you somehow think that you're kind of chubby, chubby like buddies. I think it's good to have that relationship with him that's intimate and deep, yes, but always remember that he is who he is. And there's no one like him, and he deserves our worship. He is not our equal. He will never be our equal. 
He will always be God, and we will spend an eternity, even in new bodies, with new hearts, new minds, new everything. We will stand before him for an eternity, and we will still be dropping our jaws on the ground and and going, I I had no idea you were that awesome. I thought I knew this much, and you're filling the room. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.